Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ, and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at kalamunda.church. God, we just pray right now that this beautiful sense of you being in our midst is really what we're all here for. May we um, surround you, Father with hearts wide open. May we just remember that all of us are dust, that you breathe life into us, you breathe power into us, you breathe grace into us, you breathe freedom into us, you call us, you call us to live out of you. And God, as we just stand here, just want to, Put aside everything else. Nothing matters but you in our midst and you in our future. We thank you. Life is full and beautiful because you are with us. Amen. Amen. Hey, grab a seat, people. I sometimes think we worry about the things that such little things in life, don't we? And I think we sometimes have God in such a restricted... Oh, mate, I'm Kelly. Better say that little bit, hey? You kind of think you might know everyone. Then you think, oh, maybe I don't. There'll be some people you don't know. So uh, I'll talk to you later. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't got time to do an introduction. (laughs) I'm sure it doesn't really matter. But I was just... You know, we do... We just limit God so much. We put him into this little box of where he belongs and we almost put on our church face and ways as we walk in the door. And there's a side of me that always goes, if we don't, if, let's just not do it. Like he is everywhere. You know, he's in the beauty. Um, sometimes we have this concept of Christian music. I just don't go for it. Music is God's. He, he created music. You know, I was listening to some songs on the way here. You know, they didn't mention God one bit, the whole song, as I drove for 45 minutes. Yet I had this incredible, beautiful sense of God in the car. You know, he was talking, reminded me of my past and talking to me about little things in the future. And I was, and I was thinking to myself, you know what, God, your presence is in everything. All the things that are beautiful in this world, you came up with first. So as I listen to gorgeous music, like you're there right in the middle of it. Now, you know, if I listen to a, these stories and you watch a movie, you're there. You know, I come into this room and there's people. It doesn't matter if people who you're following Christ yet or you're not. There's beauty in you because God made you. He breathed stuff into you. I just have this sense that we're supposed to, that's why I think the doors are supposed to be wide open because they're supposed to just come in and come out because this is just one part of the way we capture God, isn't it? And spend time with him. So I think the limitless God is who I'm really following all my days of my life. And who I will follow all the days of my life. Because not that life is always easy or goes in the way that I expect. God certainly hasn't always lived up to what I've asked of him. I've had a few few more demands than he's delivered on. Has anyone else had that? <laughs> I'm like, what, what are you doing? I had it all organised for you, God. I had a far better plan than you came up with. 
But in the long term, that's not the case, is it? In the long term, I just love that idea. We live life looking forward, but we un understand life looking backward. I'm looking forward and making plans. Got all the ways I think it can work and then I look back when it didn't and think, you were always in that. You were always in it. I, I didn't see you. But that's, that's supposed to be maturity of faith is that you trust him when it doesn't look like it is. When it looks like it's a debacle, then you trust him because somehow he has a way of weaving the best things out of even darkest times. And I've certainly found that in my life. And I think about this concept of... Um, I want to talk a little bit about today is about another kind of part of culture that as the church um, we can overlook or we can see as being, you know, like a bit this, if you heard of this concept of storytelling, I think about the concept of music, right? And for a period of time there, especially back in the 70s when I was in the middle of church life, anything that wasn't, if we didn't sing, you know, Jesus is Lord, you know, it was demonic music almost. You know what I mean? You tossed it out. And, and, every, and, and they went through this phase where everyone kind of used to burn their records and I didn't. I kept my private stash, I can tell you. I was, <laughs> unfortunately, my parents were like, oh, don't burn them. That's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Just keep them in a quiet place. Um, but there was this sense that anything that wasn't specifically saying God was somehow wrong. You heard that? And I think right now there's this time of culture which is storytelling is culture. You've heard that, haven't you? Everyone talks about everyone's story. I mean, it, go, it gets to the point of lunacy, I do admit, because it can almost get to the point where, you know, your story is valid and your story is your truth. Have you heard all that? Now, there's some parts of this that are true, right? It's not, but there's some parts of it are just crazy. Like, because it's yours, what happened for you, it doesn't make it the truth. It just makes it what it is. Like, I think there's nothing bad or, neg or, or positive about that. That's just what it is. But there's this concept of storytelling culture which has become so huge. I mean, we read stories, right, We tr and true stories. We have them on movies. And my favourite movies are always real stories. Is anyone else? I mean, I just love them anyway. I mean, we have songs about stories. We have podcasts which go into people's stories. I mean, storytelling is absolutely everywhere. And um, my, I, I always like biographies. They're my favourites. <coughs> or biographies or autobiographies. My favourite biography is probably, there's two of them. One is My Place by Sally Morgan. Has anyone read that one? Oh, if you haven't read that, you've just, you've missed out on a cracker because Sally Morgan's in a Perth woman um, who grew up in, uh, down in like Como area, Manning, and uh, she's an Aboriginal woman and her parents told her she was Indian as she grew up so that she wouldn't feel that she was an outsider. It was really, you know, it's really quite fascinating. It's and I, I've got the children's version, so I used to read it to my kids from the time they were little, and they loved the story. Too. It's a beautiful story. And my other favourite is Hazel Hawke, because Hazel Hawke is, was such a, a magnificent woman for what, she, I believe, for what she kind of went through. She really touches me. And, and the first time I read, first biography of hers I read was um, before Bob Hawke had left her. And at the very end of it, she talks about two older people rolling through life together and how much she was looking forward to it. And I think within about a month of that book being released, he'd left her. And yet, 
when I read her story and what she carried, what a woman she truly was. So I love biographies. But I reckon, why do you think stories are so powerful? And they are. Why are stories so powerful? What's your thoughts? You can say something to me. <coughs> they're, they're identifiable because we're also having a story that's going on. What else makes us, what else gets you about a story? What do they do? There's an, there's an element of, of, of like something you can truly know because it has been your experience. And I, what else were you going to say, Grace? A different, you get to see a different perspective on something than what, the way you would have responded, right? They get you at an emotional level, don't they? Like, what story has the capacity to do to reach you deep inside where you think you're safe? When someone tells you something, you can keep them at bay. But someone tells you their story and it's like they've got in and you think, how on earth did that happen? That's what stories do to me. It actually makes stories become so memorable. I mightn't have remember what someone actually said, but if they tell me a story, it's like I remember it. Is that happens to you? And, and, it, and it's kind of got this power, this remarkable power of stories. I also say this. I think stories, we look for a story or we get something a lot from a story when it's something we need. You know when you, you, know when you kind of got a bit of, they talk about when you get a craving for a food or something, it's often because you've got a deficiency. So I can go through real cravings of things like olives and things like that because I know I get a bit of a salt deficiency and it's like, it's like you crave what you, you, in a food what you need. I think that happens in a story. I think we, we look at a story and we see a story of real hope and there's something in us which is craving that. Or, or a person of courage. And there's like we're craving that. So when we get a story, it can almost like becomes the soul food, you know. I think they're really, I think the amazing thing is when you do hear a story and it, you can't, uh, uh, it, it touches you and it's in this memorable way. My son, my oldest son, is, um, is a lawyer, but he currently teaches politics and law. And he got a, um, he, he wanted to, got a woman in recently and she is a member of parliament for the northern suburbs. And she was a woman in her, I think she's in, she's in her 50s, and she's, uh, she came in to speak to this class, and uh, her name is uh, Dr. Ali. Have you heard of her? So she's, she's a member for the local Northern Suburbs. She comes in, and he got her in to talk to a group of students, and he'd organised for one of the young female students to introduce her to the class. And um, she comes in, and he said, from the moment she walked in, he said, she is capturing every kid's eye. And she's, hello, hello, she's got this amazing way about her mum. He's telling me this. And he said, and as he's telling me, I can see he's tearing up. And this had happened months before. He's like, mum, mum, she came in, she, she's looking at every person. And he said, then I got this young woman introduced to her. And when he, she introduced her, he said, she went up to her and she put her hands on her face. And she just said, that was beautiful. I just trust you have a magnificent life and don't lose hope in yourself. And he said, as she's saying these things, this young woman starts crying. 
He said, then she's talking all about her, her history and she'd been, he got her in because she was an international lawyer. That was her background and her specialism was anti-terrorism. And she'd actually been in Barack Obama, had been a person who'd been speaking to him about, she'd been the only Australian who was invited to one of his kind of meetings about anti-terrorism. So he said, she's kind of like a big wig in that field, right? He said, then he says, then she said to the class, but she said, I got into politics because I realised I was operating at this level. I really wanted to make a difference at the grassroots. And, and then he said, uh, then she said, and so I got into politics thinking I'd make all this difference. And she said, but what I sometimes forget, it's the little things that make the real difference. And she said, one day I was out, went out of my office and I went to the local cafe and there was a man sitting there. And she said, he was in his bikey um, jacket and I'd seen his motorbike out the front. And she said, oh, my husband and I drive motorbikes. So she said, I thought I'd go and say hello to him. So she said, I wandered over to him and I said, oh, hello, you know. My name's whatever, and she said. He said, um, she says, you know, can I have a cup of coffee with you? She said, I sat down. I said, oh, what bike do you ride? And he said he ride a Triumph or something. She said, oh, my husband, I've got Harley's. He probably just about collapsed, didn't he? Like here's this woman thinking, how does she drive a Harley? Anyway, she he, she said we had this chat. She said I left, and I said to him, let's catch up again next week. She said, so the next week we had a lunch together. <laughs> He's probably thinking it looks a little bit odd, this little duo, I'm sure. So she said then, she said, it was a part, she said, we met up a few times for coffee and she said, I just, we got on great. And she said, a few months later, I had a really ugly comment on my Facebook page. And she said, I always leave them there because this is, I'm not going to hide around, fell hide. And she said, the interesting thing was the first comment was from him, response, was from her friend, her bikey friend from the cafe, and he wrote, don't say that about my friend, Dr. Ali, um, <laughs> you know, and then he said, he, then he said, because I went into, he goes, a few months ago, I'd gone into a cafe, and he said, and that day I was planning to take my life. I was done, and this woman came in, and she sat with me, and she told me how much I was worth, and he said, and then she meet, met with me the next week, and then she met with me the week after, and he said, now I am just so full of hope about people. And, and as my son's telling me this, he starts, he's bawling. He's bawling his eyes out. When someone tells you, when you see something like that, and that's your experience, there's something that happens deep, deep inside you, isn't it? But let me tell you something. We aren't the author of storytelling. The author of storytelling is actually God. <laughs> God wrote the whole of Scripture understanding this. We are just catching on. He wrote the whole test, the Old Testament telling stories of people. Because out of those stories, like the story you tell out of Genesis this morning, it's not just a story. It's like an explanation. It's like an unfolding of God's truths that happen through storytelling. And you will never forget about that story and about the fact that when a man's name was changed by God, it was an indication of the fact everything could change for him. Who he was became someone new. God, God actually understands that storytelling has got this phenomenal power. It, you know, in weird stories, it tells us about the state of man, the good, the bad, the ordinary. It tells, the scripture tells about the story of God. What is he like? What is he like? But it also tells us, I think, about the author, God himself, right? And the challenge is when we read scripture and we don't know him, we are completely at risk of missing something. 
You know, I never read the New Testament. When I read about Paul, I, I actually, I, I think the risk is that we read Scripture so much as if it's God always speaking. And God is speaking through a man. But sometimes I think to myself, why do we get so focused on Paul and his letters? Why don't we really focus in on those Gospels? Because they're actually Jesus himself. The stories of Jesus actually giving us a first row seat at what he's like. I'm not hearing about him. I'm actually watching the movie of how he be- believe, what he believed and how he operated. But you've got to know the author. And I think this is incredible power when you read Jesus' stories because they actually give you a first row seat at what he's like. But I need to tell you, they are incredibly disruptive. If you read the stories of Jesus in a way that say, I'm going to find out what God is like by reading the stories of how Jesus behaved, this is it, they are incredibly disruptive. They are disruptive not just to the wider culture, which is where we like to throw them at. They are disruptive to church culture. The way Jesus acted, the way Je- what Jesus believes was so incredibly different to so often how we act and behave. I read them and I weep. I read them and I weep and think, I want to be like that man. I don't want to read more theology. I want to be like that man because he was 100% God and 100% man and that's what he's calling me to. You know, it went back in the 70s as well, we used to have these little bracelets, WWJD. Anyone remember those? Who, who remembers the WWJD days? What does that stand for? What would Jesus do? Maybe we should all be getting those bands back again. May I just give a suggestion? Because if there's anything that's incredibly powerful, it's when you're in a tough point. Glance at your wrist. WWJD. That's the litmus test. Now, what does my theology say? What does my church think? What does my family think? What did I learn in university? WWJD. Want to be like you. Oh my golly. Can you imagine if we all did that? One of my favourite stories, WWJD story, is Jesus. And I've I've probably spoken about this before at this church because it totally is a story that grips me how I want to behave in many ways. It's the story in John 4, and it's the woman at the well. I'm going to read you the whole story. How's that? So just close your eyes. Think of it as this story, which it is. And um, featuring Jesus, part player, Samaritan woman. Now, the news reached the Pharisees that Jesus was winning and baptising more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was his disciples who were baptising them and not Jesus himself. Now, when Jesus heard this, he left Judea and he set out once more for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And on his way, um, he came to a Samarian town called Sychar, near the plot of ground where Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And it was about noon and Jesus, he was tired after his journey and he was sitting by the well. And his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So, meanwhile... This Samaritan woman, she comes to draw water. And Jesus says to her, 
give me a drink. And the woman says, what? You, a Jew, ask from me a drink of water from a Samaritan woman? Because Jews did not share drinking vessels with Samaritans. And Jesus replies, if only you knew what God gives and, and who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman says, you have no bucket and the well is deep, so where can you get this living water? Are you greater than Jacob, our ancestor, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? Because he and his sons and his cattle too, are you greater than them? And Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give will never again be thirsty, because the water that I will give will be a spring of water within him, welling up and bringing eternal life. Sir, says the woman, Give me this water, and then I shall not be thirsty, but not have I come all this way to draw water. And he says, well, go back and tell your husband and to come back here. And she answers, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you are right in saying you have no husband, for though you have had five husbands, the man you are living with is now not your husband. You have spoken the truth, sir. I can see that you are a prophet. Now, fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place where God must be worshipped is in Jerusalem. Believe me, said Jesus, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship you know not what. We worship what we do know. It is from the Jews that salvation comes, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's already here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And these are the worshippers the Father wants. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman answers, I know that the Messiah, that Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will make everything clear to us. And Jesus says, I am he. I who am speaking to you. And at that moment, his disciples returned. And they're astonished to see him speaking with the woman. But none of them say it. They don't want to say, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? And the woman leaves her water jar and she goes off to the town where she says to the people, come see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they left the town and they made their way towards him. That's a really, really disruptive story to culture. If we let it come into us. You know, Jesus, the beautiful thing I think, the first thought for me is that Jesus is looking for us. We think, you know, people are looking for God and where's God? They're looking for him. And I'm like, no, he is looking for us. He is chasing us down all the days of our lives. He is a, he's got an appointment at the well for people. You know, he leaves that part, that faraway land. He says he walks all day and all night because he's going to get to the well because she's got to be at the well. You know, I've had this kind of sense in me. Sometimes we worry about our children. We worry about our friends. We worry about ourselves as if it's a miracle if we find God. If it's a miracle, my sons, a couple of my sons who really aren't going to church right now, it's a miracle they'll find God. And I'm like, that's not the miracle. 
The miracle is just that they accept because they're going to find him because he is going to chase them down all the days of their life. He is going to chase them down. He adores our children. He adores us. There's the story of the lost coin. Do we forget that story? When Jesus is telling it like a parable and he's saying, you know what, he, when the a coin is lost, you know, everything else is forgotten and the one lost coin he goes looking for. He's got a hundred sheep and, and everyone's saying, well, just look after the 99 you've got. And he says, no, no, I'm leaving those 99 because they're okay because I'm going to go and find that one. That's what he's like. You know, I was a girl not chasing down God. I was in church all my life, but I just did not connect with church at all. I was like, ah, not for me. I'll, I'll believe in God, but I'm not, I'm not getting involved in church. And then I'm at university sitting in my car, waiting to go into a university exam. I am not thinking about God in the least. I don't think I probably thought about him for months. And as I'm sitting there in the car, I'm bored because I got there too early. Rather than review my exam <laughs> preparation, I was like, I'll just read a book. So I reached into my glove box and in my glove box is a book that I'm sure my mother planted. <laughs> And the book was Love, Acceptance, Forgiveness by Jerry Cook. And I read the first story about a man restored by a church minister when he has had an affair and everyone else was rejecting him. This man said, you come to the church, you're going to sit in the front row and I'm going to look after you. And I read that story, something happened in that car and I was crying. I could not be comforted. There was a sense of God in that car and him saying to me, that's what I'm like. You've heard a hundred stories of what people say I'm like. But he's come to me in the dead of night. And that's what he's like. And as I read that, I said to God that day in the car, I said, God, if you're really like that, I promise you, I'll follow you all the days of my life. I've never, ever walked away. Never. Because I know what he's like. You know, there's an incredible sense that he's chasing you down. You're hard towards him because you're disappointed. You're kind of disinterested because things are going well in your life. Or you're really sad. And all he's saying is, you've never known about God. And you say, do I even need this one anyway? I just promise you he's going to chase you down all the days of your life. Because the second thing is also true from that story. He is the God of the whosoever. We think in our humanness, there's certain people, oh, yeah, really, really desperate people need God, right? Or... People who've born up in church, you know, yeah, you need God, but there's a whole lot of other people. We can just get on with life without him. But I promise you, God says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall come to him, right, shall have everlasting life. Because he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent him so that the world might be saved. <laughs> That's my whosoever God. You know, this woman was a Samaritan. First of all, she's a woman. 
And in, in, script, in that time, at that time, women were like third-class citizens. I go to Africa now, women are often fourth-class citizens. It's men, children, the animals, then the women. They often live with the animals. But let me tell you, no one's second-class to God. He is just phenomenal. He is the God of the whosoever. And that woman was Samaritan, which was the mongrel race. Jews never mixed with them. He was never should have taken water from a Samaritan woman. <laughs> he takes it from a woman. He takes it from a Samaritan. And then he says, you've had five husbands and now you're living with someone else. She was a woman of a bad reputation. And he says, I'm going to walk all night to meet you at the well. Do we see people like that? A woman yesterday as I was driving, I came up to a set of lights and she was well groomed and she was standing at a set of lights with a sign up saying, I've got no food, I haven't got a home. She's just standing there. And as I came up towards her, I just thought, you, you know, I just want you to know, the God of the whosoever adores you. And I rolled down my window and I don't really care what everyone thinks about it because I just got out my five bucks and I put it into a hand and I just held a hand for just a moment. I just said, you are pretty fabulous and brave to be doing this. I trust life turns around. Do you know, I just think that's what Jesus would be like with people, don't you? I really honestly do. We can have, I know that the, the biggest rate of homelessness right now is 50 to 70-year-old women. That's the highest, that's the fastest growing rate of homelessness in Perth. You see a woman that age on her own, the assumption we make is you're lazy, you haven't organised your money, you're spending on things you shouldn't be spending it on. I, I'm telling you, I know that's not true. Jesus would look, I know he, I know he would look. Inside her, not only would he say you're worthy, not only would he say I work all night for you, he'd do the third thing. Because you know what he did? I'm going to share with you the secret of the kingdom. I'm not going to go to the temple and share it with all the people who everyone like to think are worthy. I'm going to share with you the message of living water. Do you know the Old Testament, I mean the old stories of churches when the minister up here, they're the only ones who had the Bible and everyone else had to come through them to really find out about God. Right? And when you read the scripture, how on earth could you have done that? Because Jesus never would have put it in my hands only. Never. He walked all night to find this woman at the well and he wanted to tell her the secret of the kingdom. He's going to speak to you. If you want him to speak to you out of scripture, he's going to speak to you. He's going to share with you secrets and ideas that I have no idea about. That's the way it's supposed to be. <coughs> when you think about it, aren't these stories really challenging? They're supposed to, they're supposed to just knock us off our feet. Knock us up, talk about take our breath away. They should just bring us to our knees. I think sometimes they just, they do just bring me to my knees. Am I going to be like this kind of Jesus? 
And then there's this other thought I have out of this, which says not only can they change us in the way we live, I think they're supposed to change us in the way that we talk about God. I think so often we become a telling group of people. We're telling people what they're doing wrong or we're telling people the right thing to do. And here's this book that's giving you not a whole lot of telling but a whole lot of stories that are the best examples of him. You want to know him most powerfully? Tell a story about him. I had a young woman who, who wanted to catch up with me about faith. She'd come from a no-faith background. She was in her mid-twenties. And she knew a friend of mine. Who, no, she knew a, her mum knew a friend of mine. <laughs> it was like one of those type of situations, you know. So her friend knew a friend of mine who, and her friend said to this friend of mine, oh, look, you know, such and such is wanting to talk to someone about God. Let's say Sally. Sally's wanting to talk to someone about God. I don't know what's going on, but she's got some weird thing going on and she wants to talk to someone about God. Do you know someone she, I can trust for her to talk to about God? And, I, and my friend said, oh, look, I've got a friend who's a Christian and I reckon she can talk to her. And she said, I don't want to be a weirdo, you know. I don't want her to get into some weird, <laughs> weird I'm thinking, gosh, it's funny, isn't it? We can be seen as being weird. But anyway, um, so she says, I'll get her to talk to this friend of mine. So I arranged to meet her at a cafe in Leaderville. We go and sit in this cafe. And she says, I said, oh, so, you know, tell me what's happening. So she says to me, listen. And she was trying to be a little bit, ask me, but be a bit standoffish. You know what I mean? Like almost give me your best, give me your best lesson here, lady, because you've got a good 30 minutes. And uh, so I said, she goes, look, I've um, lived a really, really wild life. She said, I know I'm only mid-20s, came from a very well-off family. She said, but I became sexually active when I was about 12. She started to tell me all the stories of what she had done for the last 13 years, which just, you know, I tried not to look shocked, but I'm not that great at it. So I had to keep saying to her, look, I, look, I, I am shocked but I'm, I'm totally okay. So she, she tells me about what she had done and the way she had just seen her body. And I was, it, was a, it was a hard story to hear, right? And then she says, as she gets looks, she goes, but you know what? I've been thinking about God lately. Here's my God, the God of the whosoever, chasing her down, right? So she said, um, and I've been thinking about him. And she says, I kind of am interested. But she said, I don't know if he could ever accept me. She said, I don't think he probably could. Because she said, what I have done and the way I have lived is so anti him. I don't think, I, I don't think I can, he'll accept me. She, and then she says to me, what do you think? <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I, I said to her, oh. I said, let me tell you a story. I said, there was a... A, ma a young man, a two brothers who lived with their dad. And their dad, um, one of the brothers decided that he was just being too contained in that family home. So he said to his dad, I want my inheritance now. Can you give me my inheritance? And I'm going to go, I just want to go and live life my way. So his father, after trying to talk to him, said, hey, listen, I understand. You want to go and do your own thing. 
here's your inheritance. And I said, the son went off and he went into town and said, he lived a lot wilder than you. I said, you were an amateur compared to him because he blew everything he had and he lived this wild life in the town. I said, and after a period of time, he was dead broke and he was alone and he was destitute. And he thought, what am I going to do? Because he's begging for food. And I said, life is, you know, I said, life's homeless. Things are pretty bad. And then he thought, well, if I go back to dad, at least I could, dad had, he had lots of employees who used to work. They had a farm, so he could go back and work on the farm. So I said, he headed back to the farm, but he wasn't going to tell anyone he was coming because, of course, he's, he's let them all down. He'll just go and become a worker. I said, you know what happened? He got to the end of the road. I said, you know, when it goes up to the farm, there's those roads, you know, the path up to the farm. I said, and as he started walking up the road, he said the dad was on the veranda and he saw him. I said, and he ran towards him and he, he threw his arms around him and he said, we're going to have a feast and come. My son, my son, who I thought was dead or was absolutely never broken relationship with me, has come back. And, I, and, he, and he had, they had a feast and he put a ring on his finger and he put a robe. I said, I said, that's what God is like. So she says to me, how do you know? I said, I know because Jesus told that story. It's in the Bible. He told the story. He was telling us what his dad was like. At that point, she starts sobbing. I'm sobbing. We're both sobbing, holding hands in the cafe. There was no words needed. A story... A Jesus story gets right through all the defences anyone's got. And at the end of it, it's not even your words. You don't have to be clever at all. That's a lovely one, isn't it? You don't have to be clever. You just need to tell people what he's really like. You know, the stories of Jesus, they're really often very disruptive to culture even church culture. So where do you stand? What do you choose to do with this dichotomy of the way you want to act and the way what you believe and what you value when it actually flies in the face of what he's like and the way he behaves and what he values? Where are you going to go? You know, I think we can read Scripture with a new enthusiasm in this age. Read stories with this renewed passion to know what God is like as we form our theology and we live it out. We cannot live out of the past. We cannot lay our theology at the feet of teachers who have gone before us if we haven't spent the time reading the scripture for ourselves. We are without excuse because we have Christ within us and we have his words before us. I want to challenge us to shine his light so brightly in a culture that's requiring us to be prepared to to stand for faith, integrity, accountability. But may I say, mainly grace. No one in the whole world can show grace like the church. Because only the church understands what they've really been forgiven of. I will always err on the side of grace. I will always err there. Because at the end of the day, it's not my job to put people right. It's his job. 
and I can trust him with it. He put me right when I thought I didn't need him, when I thought I knew better. Every time I have fallen and thought, I don't know if I can go on, he has whispered in my ear, yes, you can, for I am with you. I pray that more and more we become the church that looks like that, looks like him. And the whole world discover the stories of Jesus. Let's close our eyes, hey? Let's sing that song about the echo. That's as far as I've got it. That's all I remember. We echoed something. You know, I just almost just want to pause. And ask that every one of you becomes that Samaritan woman for a few minutes because you are because he found you at the well and he whispered truth into your heart and now he says go and do likewise I pray your presence. I pray your kindness. I pray your courage. I pray your hope. May we look like you every day that we step up. May the whole world discover the beauty of the Jesus that's carried us through our lives. If anyone here is thinking, hmm, either this has not been my experience of God or I don't know him like this, I promise you he's a breath away. He's a story away from you. And I'm going to be at the front after service tonight, this morning, and I love to pray. But please know, he's the one that'll change you. No church, no person. The scripture in your hand and him in your heart can't lose. Let's just let the guys start the singing and then let's join them with full hearts. Praise to the one who saved us. Amen.